This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to Real Talk on this uh, Monday. Uh, I'm sure that some of you used the weekend to, to kind of chill out, to debrief after a busy week. If you were paying attention to politics across the country, most especially in Western Canada, it was a busy one. We were in the trenches, as they say. All of our attention was, was going to campaigns and developments and polling and trends and then ultimately results. That characterized our coverage all last week. And we thank so many of you, including some of you that are new to the Real Talk family for joining us and discovering this show that, that keeps it real, talking news, politics, and pop culture. Where does Alberta go from here? We start our coverage of that this week today with pr- professor, a political scientist, and Alberta Views contributor Lisa Young. In just a second, she's going to talk about the big choice that Albertans made. Was it individualism over the common good? We'll see what her assessment looks like. Back in December, Professor Young was talking about Danielle Smith's populist wave. This was the the victory in Alberta, disruption in Canada after Danielle Smith at that time. The UCP leader, of course, had, had won that race, that leadership race, about six weeks prior and was heading toward the May election. Now she's done it. Mission accomplished. She's won that general election. The first win in her political career as a leader. Wanted to let you know on Wednesday of this week, Premier Smith will be joining us live in the Real Talk studio. And of course, you can catch that at 830 Mountain Time. Make sure you tell people that are engaged and interested in politics across the country. Charles Adler is going to join us in just a little bit as well. Yeah, we'll talk about the Alberta election. He was one of the very first on New Year's Eve of 2022 to endorse Rachel Notley's NDP. It didn't go the way that Charles and many others wanted. I mean, he wasn't the only small C conservative to endorse Rachel Notley. You heard it right here on this show. Former cabinet ministers, progressive conservatives, Doug Griffiths, Thomas Lukasik. Where are they now on this? We'll ask Adler. Plus, of course, we'll turn our attention to some other stories that are making national news, including one of Canada's most heinous criminals, serial killer Paul Bernardo, moved to a medium security prison. There's politics infused into this story. I mean, that's the way that it goes. Do politics belong on this one? Can we all agree that Paul Bernardo belongs in maximum security? For the rest of his life, yes. Before he rots in hell, I think. John, so. you agree with me? Yeah. People always it, ask me the question. They go, "Where do you swing left on things? Where do you swing right on things?" And I find mm-hmm. that I swing a hard right on crime and punishment stories like this one. How are you processing that story well, out of Quebec? You know me. I'm always the guy like everyone deserves a seven ch- second chance. Everyone should be rehabilitated. But I, I think in this instance, no, it lock him up for life. Unbelievable story. So Pierre Polyev is basically saying, "Of course, this is happening on Justin Trudeau's watch." Oh. We'll get into that with Charles Adler and we'll go stateside a CNN town hall Mm -hmm. Nikki Haley among those candidates for the Republican nomination she's taking on trans kids she's alleging that there's an epidemic of suicide and teen girls in the US and we're going to cover that as well a lot of the ground that we cover is based on your feedback to the show and you can let us know what you think anytime our email inbox last week was slammed in the best way 
talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can get us. These conversations happen uh, with the amazing support of our presenting sponsor. That's We Know Training. That's your partner for training that matters. Let We Know Training take on your training needs so you can focus on what you do best. They're your one-stop solution partner to streamline and monetize your training, empower your learners, and move the needle on your business goals. That's a big deal. We Know Training provides a full suite of solutions from instructional design to online training technology, from bilingual customer support to advice on scaling and monetizing your course content. They're here to support you every step of the way. You can learn more today by visiting we know training.ca. Well, Dr. Lisa Young is a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. You can read some of her most recent work in the June issue of Alberta Views magazine. It's the title, it's the headline, it's the cover story The Big Choice Individualism or the Common Good. Dr. Young joining us on this Monday. It's nice to see your face again. Thanks for making time for us. Are, 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 you, are you sort of seeing the Alberta election results as a dust has settled scenario? Are you starting to find yourself looking forward? What does it all mean now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've all had a week to kind of, uh, you know, understand the results. I, I think there's lots of interesting conversations going on as people are trying to, um make sense of them, but also tell stories that position them, uh, the results in particular ways for whatever is coming next in Alberta politics, because there's always something that, that comes next. Um, but I think that there is that sense of relief in some ways that the election is over, um, because it's been such a long campaign, um, even though it was only 28 days, but we've been talking about this for months. And so I think we're all ready to sort of take a, a deep breath and see what happens next. Yeah, to say the least, uh, people are paying attention to this and not just folks in Alberta, obviously implications of this conservative win across the country. And, and, and we'll be talking about that in the weeks and months to come. Obviously, some of those storylines will write themselves in front of us. You were paying attention to something Back in December, uh, when you contributed to Alberta Views, people can still find it at albertaviews.ca. You wrote about Danielle Smith's populist wave. You know, we had a guest on this show a couple of weeks ago say Daniel Smith's brand of politics isn't conservatism. It's populism. Can, can we get into this? Can we go back to December and, and dig into what was catching your attention at that point? Because now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and say it obviously worked. Yeah, Um Although I think, you know, we really have to nuance um, that in some ways. That piece I wrote um, was really trying to explain how it was that Danielle Smith came from seemingly nowhere to have this remarkable political comeback and actually win the party leadership. And so if we looked at how she won the leadership, it was really about two sets of supporters. One were people who were very angry about how the provincial government had responded to COVID. They were angry about vaccine mandates. Um, they perhaps were in some instances occupying an informational universe that was not uh, the same as, as the mainstream, um, to put it nicely. I was going to say um, that is the most polite assessment of anything <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't want to get sued. That's all I... <laughs> sure. 
Um, and uh, the the second group were people who were who wanted to see Alberta do something very different um, in terms of our relationship to the rest of Canada. And that was people who wanted to see the Sovereignty Act and particularly the Sovereignty Act as Daniel Smith originally conceived of it. So absolutely, she drew on populism, um, which is an important political force in Alberta, in order to win the leadership. The trick then has been, how do you go from that to winning an election when the electorate isn't populist in the same ways as these supporters are? And so we've really seen, what is it, seven, eight months now of her trying to walk a very careful line between these two. And I think in many ways has abandoned, um, you know, a lot of the populism that got her into office originally in order to win over those more centrist voters in Calgary. Is can I like let me ask you some dumb questions. Let's pretend like you're you're teaching us poli sci 101 right now. Is populism tied to a particular political ideology? Like could could you be a could you be a left-leaning populist? Could you be a right-leaning populist? To me, populism almost leans a little left inherently, doesn't it? Because it because it targets the elite, the one percent. Kinda sorta. Um so you know, th there's left populism and there's right populism. What they have in common is an idea that there is some elite force that is really trying to hold down the people, right? I mean, populism, it's about the people. And, and so there's, there's some group of elites who are benefiting themselves at the expense of the people. And so Alberta populism has been historically very much tied up in regionalism. So the idea is that there's central Canadian elites that are making themselves rich at the expense of Alberta or the West. And so the first um, versions of populism that we saw in Alberta were absolutely left populism. It's sometimes called agrarian populism. It was, you know, based, it, it was farmers, right? Um, and seeing, um, you know, public policy that that clearly benefited central Canada at the expense of, of Western uh, agricultural producers. And so this has now turned into what sometimes is called extractive populism. Um, and that's the idea that people who work in extractive industries, like the oil patch, um, feel a sense of uh, anger toward an elite, you know, perhaps the federal government, perhaps international environmental uh, organizations that they see are trying to um, get in the way of their livelihoods, um, it, it working in an extractive industry. So there's all kinds of different populism. One of the populisms that we've seen that's really um, probably the dominant thread internationally right now um, is right populism. Um, the, the idea that there are uh, elites out there, the World Economic Forum, you know, people who are overly educated, who think that the people are, are um, you know, uh, ill-informed um, and scientists in some cases, experts. And so a lot of the uh, mobilization that we saw around COVID was a, a form of this right populism that said that, you know, 
scientists are just in this for themselves. They're making themselves rich and they're trying to do terrible things to us, the people. Um, so populism is this really flexible set of ideas. And, you know, I think to understand it, you need to understand who that external elite is that that the the people who are adopting populist views are are concerned about let's fast forward to the current issue of alberta views and, and of course people can check it out online at, at albertaviews.ca the june issue uh you've got the front page you've got the title page the story the big one the big choice individualism or the common good let me read just a portion of it of your words when voters go to the polls at the end of may they'll be choosing between two parties with very different visions for the future of the province and, and this is where the rubber hits the road this is what people care about now the future what does this mean you write one emphasizes freedom limited government and conflict with ottawa the other highlights equality public delivery of services and a reduction of hostilities with the federal government so I guess Albertans chose to fight. I'm probably oversimplifying the results, but but let's get into what the election results say to you about where Albertans are at right now. Right. And so, you know, the, the thing that everyone needs to remember about, you know, you're holding up the print version of this. So that was written way back in December. Um, and, and I had a few chances to update it as it got closer and closer to publication. But what the folks at Alberta Views asked me to do was to say, take a look at these two parties and tell us about the essence of them, what's essential to them. So I looked back at, you know, the founding documents for the UCP. I looked at the 2019 uh, UCP platform. I looked at the documents that we had available at that point for the, the two parties to see how they were positioning themselves going into this election. But it isn't a take on how the two parties presented themselves in the election itself. And I think, you know, the NDP, I feel like I more or less landed it correctly. The UCP, not so much in the sense that the UCP really did present itself quite differently in the election in some ways, not in every way, but it it uh, downplayed the idea of conflict with Ottawa during the election. Although I think we saw even on uh, election night when Danielle Smith spoke, you know, it came back that she was going to stand up for Alberta. Um and, and that was because during an election, obviously parties need to try and meet the voters where they are. And, and so we saw a moderating of, of some of these views. So it will be really interesting to see how the UCP governs. Do they, um, govern as this more, more moderate force or do they return to these sort of fundamental values about freedom, the market economy, confrontation with Ottawa? Um, and, and it remains to be seen. How would you characterize, like, you know, the 2019 election, uh, Jason Kenney kind of swoops in, right, unites the parties, he, you, know, sort of, you know, creates this whole persona, the blue pickup truck thing, the referendum on the carbon tax. Obviously, there's a there's a tension. I mean, I think it's personal between Kenny and Trudeau after, you know, years of sparring in Ottawa, of course. And then now you've got like a completely different stamp on that same party, right? The, the, the leadership's different. The cabinet's going to look dramatically different. The presence in Calgary's different. You know, the UCP has, has lost its one seat in Edmonton. I don't know if 
that's significant or not. I'll, I'll ask you that in the form of a question. But how would you compare or contrast the party that won in 2019 versus the party that won a week ago today? Yeah. So Kenny brought together the the you know the old Wild Rose Party and the Progressive Conservative Party, and you know it was pretty clear that the Wild Rose was the the more it was the stronger party in in that merger in some respects, um, and what we've seen, uh, you know, and and much as Kenny tried to bring the two together and and find policy that really spoke to both, they could certainly agree on his jobs economy pipeline um, uh, stance in the 2019 election. So they had that in common, but there were lots of differences. And as soon as Kenny gets into government and we see him appoint a cabinet, we start to see that maybe the old Wild Rose Party he sees as as being the you know the the back row of the party in in some respects you know um, we see so many cabinet ministers appointed from uh, Calgary relatively few MLAs lots of things we heard coming out of the caucus that um, people felt that he wasn't listening to them and of course it all blows up in this incredible way over COVID right where that that notion of freedom means very different things to the uh, wild you know the former wild rose folks um and people in rural alberta than it did to you know many of the the old progressive conservative supporters so you know so so that's the old Kenny um, government that sort of falls apart. We think that under Smith, it would be very much the old Wild Rose Party. And, you know, I think it was Jen Gerson who wrote last week that, you know, Wild Rose is now governing Alberta. Mm-hmm. And in many respects, it's hard to argue with that. Um, you've got Daniel Smith, a former Wild Rose leader. You've got so many uh, seats in in rural Alberta and and so few in the cities. Um, and, and so it is very much the old, you know, Wild Rose Party with a few old progressive conservative types um, in Calgary. So now the question is, how does she govern? Because what she's got to do is to try to win back Calgary and maybe a seat or two in Edmonton if she wants to, you know, recreate Ralph Klein's trajectory from a small caucus to a large one over a couple of elections. But she can't do that if she's the old wild rose. So I think there's some really fundamental questions for Smith going forward. I have no idea what the question was, so I hope I answered it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I just, I, you know, honestly, like I, we sort of treat these interviews, especially like on a Monday morning, like we're just having coffee and kind of chewing on it, you know, and just like looking around and seeing what's happening around us. I mean, I, I, want, I want to equally pick your brain on the future of the NDP right now. And, and uh, you know, one thing I'm trying to be careful of, and I want to be clear, like we have, uh, you know, we do have an ask in to talk to Rachel Notley. Nobody's speaking on Rachel Notley's behalf. Nobody's assuming she's going to resign or assuming she's going to stay on for that matter. Um, there are some wins to take away, I guess. I mean, it's like people like looking at the Edmonton Oilers season right now and saying like, there are some wins, you know, some positives to look at through the season. But if you only want to win the Stanley Cup, you don't care about any of the other wins. If you want to form government, you don't really care about all the other wins, I guess, in a way. If, if, if you're in the, you know, the NDP worm, which you're not, uh, you know, I mean, if you were an NDP candidate, which you're not, uh, you know, how are you processing what went down? What observations might you have? Yeah, I mean, I think there's 
two things to understand here, and they they point in somewhat different directions. The first thing to understand, and I think everybody on all sides of the political spectrum agree with this, is that what Rachel Notley has done over in her time in Alberta politics is extraordinary. Um, she she took the party from being you know a, a couple of MLAs to forming government. Um, when she formed government, it. She performed well. Um, you know, when when the NDP was elected somewhat unexpectedly, everybody was thinking about Bob Ray in uh, Ontario, who formed government unexpectedly. And it was a bit of an objective disaster in some ways. They weren't ready to govern. And, and Notley clearly took lessons from that. And, you know, with a very inexperienced uh, caucus, managed to form a cabinet. She held things together. She had some really bad luck uh, when it came to the the price of oil, but th- there's no sense that this was a disastrous government. And so she was given the the you know confidence of the party to continue on. And she did this really unusual thing in uh, politics. As a former premier, she stayed on as leader of the opposition and and fought again. And even though she didn't win, she's she's left us with a situation that sure looks like we now have a two-party competitive political system in Alberta. So that is an enormous accomplishment. And so nobody wants to push someone out when they have accomplished something so remarkable. That having been said, I think there's a couple of things that probably point in the direction of Notley stepping down on her own terms in, in the next year. Um, I, I think the first would be that she's been in politics a long time. It's, you know, she she d- deserves the chance to do something else, to have her own life back in some ways. I think, you know, there's a reason that political careers don't last for decade after decade, particularly in a leadership role. So, you know, I think we could all wish that for her in, in some ways. She's done a lot for the province of Alberta. Um, But the second thing is that we did get a real illustration in this election of why it is that former premiers don't stay on and and fight the next election. And that is that you get treated as an incumbent and you then have to answer for the things that your government has done. And so there was this moment watching the debate where I, I... it was such a strange thing because here we had the premier of the province, Danielle Smith, acting as though she was the challenger. She didn't have to answer for the things the Kenny government had done because she hadn't been around for most of it. Um, so she wasn't answering for the Kenny government's record uh, in office, but she was pushing Danielle, uh, she was pushing Rachel Notley to answer for her time in office four and more years ago. And and so suddenly Notley became the incumbent. And so to the extent that Notley is associated in the minds of, of some Albertans with a time of, you know, pretty miserable economic um, conditions, she carries that. And if she leads the party into the next election, she will continue to carry that. And I don't know that the NDP necessarily wants to position themselves that way. Huh. 
Yeah, I was I was reading uh, whatever senior one of Smith's senior campaign strategists uh, contributed to the Calgary Herald over the weekend. I was reading his insights. And, and, and as the story goes, they were prepping her for a debate, Danielle Smith, for a debate down in, in Brooks Medicine Hat for like a local debate in the riding where she won her seat. And, and apparently there was kind of this epiphany moment, I guess, where Smith says, well, I'm running on my record why isn't Notley running on hers? And as they describe it, it it changed. And we'll ask Premier about this on Wednesday when she talks to us, but apparently it changed the entire course of their campaign. At the at the time that she uttered that, uh, they believed they were losing. Uh, not to say that they believe the end result would be that, but they perceived that midway through the campaign, they were losing. And, you know, they believe that that turned the tide. I'm also curious to pick your brain on, on something that Max Fawcett of the National Observer said on this show uh, on Tuesday morning, or was it Wednesday, maybe? Anyway, last week, Max says uh, he described the NDP's proposed corporate tax hike um, from 8 to 11%, a 38% rise, as one of the biggest political blunders in Canadian history. Um, it's been described as a gift on a silver platter, that from those inside the United Conservative campaign. Do you think so? Do you think? I mean, again, perhaps I'm oversimplifying. I've said that twice in one interview. Is that why the NDP lost the election, the proposed corporate tax hike? I want to take us back to the narrative. Um, and, and I just like shameless pitch here. Um, I write a sub stack. Um, and yesterday's sub it's stack excellent, was by the way. all about uh, that narrative that the UCP is is putting out um, and and making Danielle Smith the hero. Right. Um, and and that. Um, what got me thinking about it was exactly that bit of the story that uh, you just talked about. Um, and so I think that part of what's going on here is that some UCP strategists who are close to Smith are trying to create a narrative about this election that makes Smith the hero, right? And they're doing that for a particular reason, which is that they are trying to bolster her um, leadership within the party because they know what's coming next. Um, you know, the, the UCP will turn on its leaders. So um, so I, I think, you know, we should just read that with a little grain of salt because it perhaps is serving a purpose. Now, the corporate tax, you know, the biggest blunder in Canadian political history is a bold claim. Um, and, and I'm going to have to, you know, sit back and think about it. I think I think it certainly is is plausible that this was an error um, in the sense that and and when I first heard it uh, the the announcement I wondered if Notley was trying to actually play on a left populist. Um, version of of Alberta political culture right the idea that the big guys the big corporations the one percent as you called them aren't paying their fair share and they need to pay more right and there is support in some quarters for that idea but of course this election was all about winning over some soccer moms in suburban Calgary essentially mm -hmm. right and so um, maybe the left populist appeal didn't really work for them and the NDP didn't 
see that coming. Um, I, I think as well that they weren't ready for the way that the uh, UCP returned that volley um, and and talking about it as a 38% tax increase, I think was a, a bit of tactical political genius. I certainly spoke to some you know, sort of people who had, were just tuning into the election, who were absolutely convinced that uh, the NDP was going to raise the the corporate tax rate to thirty eight percent. Right. Um, and and, know, like, and we talked is, about this last week because yeah. both both are correct, right? It it it's it's accurate that it's a three percent tax increase from eight yes. to eleven, and it's also accurate that three points on eight is almost forty percent. Like both are accurate. Exactly. And, you know, the NDP just never seemed to be able to respond to that. Right. Um, and, and, and they didn't. So, you know, I think if they went back to reconsider the campaign, maybe they would have talked about this differently, a little less, um, be a little less specific and talk about revising corporate taxes in a way to, you know, make things better for small business and and make sure that big business pays its fair share. But, you know, they would need a panel to advise them on exactly how to do that, right? That might have been a, a less specific way to do it because clearly that was a specific that the UCP was able to seize on and it, it was like the you know Notley's line that we still had the lowest corporate taxes in in uh, Canada just didn't land with anyone once they had heard 38 percent yeah I I think people are just you know, people are moved and swayed by slogans and marketing. And I don't know, maybe maybe you maybe you call it three percent for the one percent, you know, something like that. Like you got to drive home. It's three, not thirty eight. It's three, not thirty eight. And and I hey, listen, I'm a proud Albertan, always have been. So I'm, I'm saying this sort of like somewhat introspectively, but it, but it almost also goes to show that Albertans in a way kind of don't mind getting screwed. Like, like like if you look at which politicians we punish in Alberta, we punish politicians that pursue royalty reviews. In other words, like a layperson's way of phrasing a royalty review is 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 looking into getting a better deal for Albertans. Like that that's kind of a right, that's a simplistic way to dumb it down. Or or we, we punish politicians that would that would talk about I mean, eleven percent as a corporate tax rate is still among, if not the lowest, among the lowest in Canada. Still even if you pump it up by three or 38%, whichever way you're spinning it. But still, Albertans, they've got no appetite for that because we are easily convinced, as as, as I say facetiously, as a petro state, that even if we were still among the lowest tax jurisdictions in the world, and in particular in oil-producing nations, that still we might lose all the oil companies. I mean, look at Suncor saying they're laying off 1,500 more people over the next little bit. I don't know. I just think it's absolutely fascinating. You know, we'd rather run deficits than talk about a sales tax. Like, it's just, it's kind of the way that Alberta's hardwired. And I know that people have written volumes on this. I'm not sure anybody could adequately explain it, though. You want to try? No. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I mean, but, you know, the, the one thing that I keep thinking is at some point, whether it's in the next four years or the next 30 years, there is going to be some poor soul who is going to be the Alberta premier when this all falls apart. Um, when we have to say that we can't 
continue to run our public finances based on these, you know, the, the, the royalty income. And nothing, you know, no politician is brave enough to do the work to make us think about what that might look like and, and how we want to manage. Um, and, you know, we certainly saw if, if there was one thing that won this election for the UCP, in my view, it was that Albertans really love the the old progressive conservative formula of low taxes, generously funded public services, and you know, we're entitled to all of this. Um, and, and, you know, that was really what Smith ran on. Um, you know, she, she reversed many of the Kenny cuts, or at least partially did that. And she promised Albertans that old comfortable way of being. And that's apparently a winning formula in Alberta, at least for the moment. At least for the moment. Where oil's where it's at. That's how you can campaign. We'll get into it with Danielle Smith, uh, Premier of Alberta, on Wednesday. We've been talking to Professor Lisa Young. You can check out her Substack and subscribe. LisaYoung.substack.com. We'll have that link in the show notes on YouTube and on the podcast. And, of course, we've been talking about her feature in Alberta Views. You can read it at albertaviews.ca. And we wanted to let you know that Alberta Views uh, can be landing in your mailbox. Uh, Real talkers can subscribe at 50% off. 50% 50% off, that's 20 bucks for an entire year by using the promo code AVRJ at albertaviews.ca. Hey, Professor, thanks so much for doing this. It's great to see your face again. We always appreciate your analysis. Happy to be here. You got it. Lisa Young, Dr. Young, is a professor of political science out of the University of Calgary. We're going to be talking to Charles Adler in just a second. You know, these conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers, and June is a big month. At their 16 locations across the province of Alberta. Why? Because it is Pork Month, just in time for barbecue season. Celebrate June as Alberta Pork Month with Friesen Brothers. They're proud to sell only the finest, carefully crafted, fresh Alberta pork at all their stores. All of it prepared by their skilled butchers with the utmost expertise. From juicy pork chops to succulent ribs, crispy bacon, mmm, bacon, to four unique flavors of in-store made sausage, they've got you covered for grilling adventures this barbecue season. Visit your local Friesen Brothers today. Savor the best fresh Alberta pork products and, of course, support local Alberta farmers. Our friends at Apex Automation want to remind you that they're currently hiring. That's right. They're looking for the best electrical instrumentation, computer science process, and mechanical engineers in the country, along with electricians and instrument technicians. Their goal is to have a well-rounded team that can deliver turnkey projects for their clients. They know that no one person can do it all on their own. It takes a team. And at Apex Automation, that is evident. Their awareness, their understanding of that every single day, both at work as they're developing and testing new automation solutions and at play. This is a team that puts people over profits And that's evidenced every single day in the corporate culture that they've built, one of Canada's fastest-growing firms. You can find out more about working at Apex by visiting apexautomation.ca. At Eden Landscaping, it's pedal to the metal right now as they're bringing outdoor spaces to life all winter through the early spring. They've been working on designs for their clients. Of course, going through those Pinterest boards, those dream boards, those vision boards. Now, well, now's when they're 
getting the shovels in the ground. And this is a team right now that understands what it means, the significance of giving people a space that they can enjoy, work, and grow in to get the bones of the front or backyard right, to hand their clients the keys to a space and say, please use and enjoy. They understand that outdoor spaces need to be flexible as your life and your needs evolve. And they understand budgets too. Yards don't have to be completed all at once. They talk about that evolution. You know, maybe you do a little bit now, maybe you do a little bit in a couple of summers from now. That requires planning and forward looking. This is a full service custom landscaping team. And you can start with a free consultation today by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. Sure appreciated hearing from Athabasca University's Dr. Mark Crawford on Tuesday of last week. You can check it out. It's our episode, Why She Won. It's a deep dive into what worked for Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and the United Conservatives. Uh, Dr. Crawford, a professor of political science at AU, that is just one of dozens of faculties. Whether you're looking to pursuing an undergraduate, a graduate, or even a, a, maybe a PhD, there's a fit for you guaranteed at AU. And the best part about it your only commute is to your device. That's right. That's why tens of thousands of Canadians look to Athabasca University to pursue their post-secondary goals. Their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can get started today at AthabascaU.ca. Every Monday, it's our absolute pleasure to check in with Emmy award-winning talk radio legend, Charles Adler, uh, who I believe is joining us live this morning. From are you in the province of Are you in Manitoba today, Chuck? Is that where you are this morning? Does it Does it look like I've changed locations? Or? Oh, I was just curious. Sometimes you're in BC. Sometimes you're in Manitoba. Yeah. You never, what I yeah. will note right now is you've got a brand new, big, sexy microphone in front of you. Congratulations! <laughs> that's, a, that's a, for a guy like you. We don't want to. Well, as my pal Laws says, you don't want to tipsy toe in the tulips when it comes to your audio equipment. Nice no, job. Nice no, upgrade. No. Well, you know, if we, some of us, uh, a microphone is like a like a big truck. It's, it's. Um, how do I say this uh, relatively nicely, even though we have got more liberty in the podcast world? Um, it's it's compensatory. How's that? <laughs> okay, yeah, compensatory. So a big, mic, academics yeah, a big understand mic, what yeah. that means. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got By it. By the way, speaking of academics, if I had Leisha Young as my professor when I was in university, I think I would have skipped fewer classes. Isn't she great? She is. She is really, really strong. Yeah. Yeah, and, and she breaks things there. down in a, in a way that, you know, people can kind of understand it. Um, and, and she does it in gracious fashion, which I love as well. She'll say, like, well, well, that is certainly an interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to sit and think about that as opposed to yeah. just saying, you dumb asshole. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? She's got yeah. a, real, a real grace around it. Hey, so, you know, the election goes Monday. Obviously, we talked to you ahead of the election. Sure. You've, had a, you've had a week to think about it. Uh, you officially had gone on the record endorsing Rachel Notley. How, how, yeah. are, how are you processing the way that it all played out? Well, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I, I take the same view in, in every single election. I, uh, I, I, I get a little bit uh, partisan. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a hockey game for me. Everything, everything in life for me turns into a hockey game. Uh, she was the team, the Notley team. I was rooting for, for them, uh, but um, it's over. And I hope Danielle Smith has a 
successful government. I've wished her uh, good luck uh, publicly. I want her to be successful, and that's the way I always am. Uh, I'm not a Pierre Polyev fan at all, but if Pierre Polyev should become prime minister, should he form a government, I'll want his government to be successful because I want Canada to be successful. I want Alberta to be successful. Democracy, whether it's Alberta democracy, provincial or, or federal, our, our national democracy, I want us to be successful. So I, I realize there are some people who always root for demise. They root for bad things to happen. There's that great German word, uh, Schadenfreude. I'm not big on Schadenfreude. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be big on, on Danielle Smith uh, slipping on a bunch of banana peels right now because it would hurt the province of Alberta. Yeah, uh, now people are wondering, I mean, this will be a big uh, week. I think we're, we're expecting, I think, the, the cabinet to be announced, like her ministers, essentially her lineup on, on Friday. We're going to be talking to her on Wednesday, and a lot of folks are wondering what that cabinet's going to look like. They've lost some, I mean, you imagine, like, as a party leader, you lose, uh, you know, I mean, both your justice and your health minister, among others. Yeah. That's a, a pretty big deal. They don't have an, a so-called incumbent finance ministers. There's going to be a new person at the helm there. It's, uh, people are assuming that it'll be comprised of, of and, and I think logistically it has to be, of more rural uh, MLAs than than in past. And, and, and if I'm a rural Albertan, by the way, I'm going, why is everybody saying that like that? <laughs> I, mean, I understand there has to be representation in cities. I understand the logical <laughs> response to why you want MLAs from cities representing big portfolios and cabinet but uh you know there's kind of probably going to be a bit more of a rural vibe to it but but that's an area where you know uh, premier smith is is quite comfortable uh campaigning it's an area where the conservatives won big um you know i mean i don't know if you're expecting to see any big surprises this week on friday with cabinet is that something you're thinking about or paying attention to well, what I'm paying attention to, by the way, we, we've got to get over this uh, reluctance to say that it'll be more rural or it'll be more urban. Uh, there's this, I don't know, there's this politically correct fog out there that mm. if you um, if you say that it'll be more rural, a bunch of people turn themselves into victims. Oh, so you don't you don't you don't think farming's important? You don't think we work hard on the farm, or you don't think we work hard in the small towns? No, it's got nothing to do with that. Everything ends up being cultural. When the cabinet is more rural or the government is more rural-based, it means it'll be more socially conservative. Most people in the urban and suburban areas of, of, of Alberta, especially Calgary and Edmonton, are not socially conservative. They're, they're moderate. So this isn't about picking on farmers. This isn't about picking on, on people who live in rural Alberta, who built Alberta, who built a great province, who built a great economy. But I, I just have a problem with and of course i'm also thinking about the podcast i'll be doing uh, just, just down the road um I, I really have a problem with having to constantly uh, pamper and diaper people when i'm about to talk about them or talk about their province or talk about their country and i just wonder just as a, a fellow podcaster now uh, is, is this something that you deal with all the time that you know before you actually deliver what you want to deliver you say oh by the way i'm not against this i'm not against that you're you're wonderful i just i i don't i don't want to believe that our country has turned into a kindergarten and then I've got to treat people like a bunch of five-year-olds. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I was, I was listening. I was driving back from uh, Calgary to Edmonton late last night. 
listening to one of my favorite. I don't know if you ever listen to Spit and Chicklets. It's a bit of a crude uh, but compelling hockey podcast. And they had NBA all timer Charles Barkley on there. Yeah. And of course, he's he's skyrocketed to to sustained success as a broadcaster. I think he makes like thirty mil a year or something. By the way, as a yeah. broadcaster, on oh, he's TNT, a good one. He's, is, he's he's really good. He's unreal. And uh, anyway, so he was talking about his his early career, and and he said that like you know when he was a, a young player for the Philadelphia 76ers and they they squeaked out a win and he said something like yeah I want to thank God for you know just my teammates and the big win and God blessed us with the big win and all this and I guess he got pulled aside and somebody said like yeah you know you got to stop talking about God because it's pissing off some some people that don't believe in God and and this that and the other and then he sort of started thinking okay and then and then all of a sudden he went basically fuck that uh I'm going to say what I think and uh and then that I think was when perhaps Sir Charles was born and yeah. uh, it's probably why he's successful as a broadcaster because he calls him how he sees him and he says what he thinks now, on the flip side though I, th- I think it's you know if you're just you know if I'm going to sit here and say like uh, you know ooh, you know Danielle Smith you know her cabinets can be made up a little more rural than in past uh, and then I go out to s- swim in my cousin's pool uh, with all my farming relatives and they're going to go yeah like as I'm in the deep end and they're tying weights to my ankles like uh, tell us a little more about why you were so concerned about that I think sometimes people want to clarify uh, but you're right yeah. bigger picture there's there's maybe more eggshells on the trail than there have been in past sure well look when i was doing the radio show when we were all over alberta we had lots of fans in rural alberta some of them will get on my twitter saying hey you've really changed don't why are you looking down on rural alberta why are you looking down on people in small towns it's just not that at all it's just it the the, the culture of a small town alberta is obviously different. One of the reasons that people in small-town Alberta don't want to live in the big city is because they they would prefer the small town. Mm -hmm. And many of them prefer the small town for, yes, religious reasons. I'm not here to disrespect people's religions. I'm simply here to say that people in small towns have a culture that's different from the people in the big cities. And so some of their priorities are a lot different, especially if they want to start talking about book banning, and I don't want to go over everything that we talked about last week and the week before, but the agenda of Take Back Alberta is significantly different than the agenda of people who live in Calgary and Edmonton. And if that can't be said publicly, then we can't do real talk. And that's not about looking down on anybody. That's about assessing reality. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, speaking of, hard swerve here. I want to transition. We'll bring it back to Canadian politics in just a second. But, uh, you know, you talk about sort of i mean i'm i'm going to use the woke agenda right and we're talking about you know you got to be careful you got this that and the other and and, and ron yeah. desantis i know you want to talk about this ron desantis commented on this we'll get into the cnn town hall in just a second Re- republican uh you know she wants to be the republican nominee for president nikki haley former governor of south yeah. carolina and what she had to say in just a second but let me tee this up ron desantis he was going to the wall in his fight with disney uh he who is probably the the most serious challenger at this point uh, to Donald Trump and seeking the presidential or the Republican nomination rather um, had this to say just a moment ago and, and I want to get your take on it here's Ron DeSantis well, woke is, a, is an existential threat to our society I mean it's an attack on truth it's a form of cultural Marxism and it really subordinates merit and achievement to things like identity politics. You can't have a vibrant free society if every institution is dominated by woke ideology. And to say it's not a big deal, uh, that just shows, you know, you don't understand what, what a lot of these issues are right now. DeSantis is milking this thing and, and hopes to milk it all the way to the White House. What do you make of it? Ron DeSantis, you know, waving his finger at people, saying, don't you understand that this is Marxist ideology? 
This is cultural Marxism. What the hell is cultural Marxism? And I studied Marxism in the same kind of schools that Ron DeSantis studied Marxism. I mean, Ron DeSantis went to some Ivy League universities. Ivy League universities, I, I was kind of a, a tourist in. I didn't have the dough to attend them. I could get in, but I just didn't have the dough to, to stay in. So I don't want to. I don't want to take a backseat to Ron DeSantis. So just in terms of uh, intellect and understanding what Marxism is all about, he's talking about Marxism here. There's no such thing as cultural Marxism. It's baloney. It's uh, Steve Bannon uh, propaganda. And the word existential. The word existential is a serious word. It means that your existence is under attack. In other words, if woke ideology, whatever that is, if it if it wins, we die. It's an existential threat. We cannot exist if we have woke ideology in schools, if we have woke ideology in corporations. Woke ideology, if we want to, we want to call it, you know, the extreme politically uh, correct business, does it irritate and annoy the hell out of me? Yeah, obviously it does. A few moments ago, I said, I hate this idea of having to diaper and pamper everybody just because I'm about to say something, okay? So I, I'm not exactly what I would call the, the king of woke. But on the other hand, I'm not here to say that if if we have a relatively woke society, a, a society that's awakened uh, to the fact fact that many minorities have had a hard time, and that we ought to do our, our best to be more sensitive to the needs and the history and heritage of minorities. I, I get all that. I don't have any trouble signing off on it. I have a lot of trouble signing off on the idea that if we do that, if we are sensitive to various groups, okay, including the trans kids that somehow our society will cease to exist, that there's an existential threat there. And when someone wants to wave that kind of uh, bloody shirt, that to me is a symbol of authoritarianism. Now, remember, he's not just waving it. He's pointing fingers at people. If you don't understand this, if you don't understand how important this is, then you're basically an idiot. Mm -hmm. You're really stupid. You must understand this. I am Ron DeSantis, and I'm the, the king of the anti-woke forces. I'll tell you, when he does stuff like this, he comes across as much more extreme than Donald Trump. Now, putting aside that Donald Trump this week, we're, we're now told the story broke uh, just a couple of hours ago, that uh, he'll, he'll be served with papers, that uh, the prosecutor, the special prosecutor, Jack Smith, will be indicting Donald Trump, and this is criminal business we're talking about, uh, the the papers that were discovered at Mar-a-Lago, the papers that he weren't, wasn't supposed to uh, have. Okay, so it's a security issue and it's a criminal issue. So putting all that aside, because there are people who believe that even if Donald Trump is wearing ankle bracelets, uh, he can still become the president. I'm one of those people. Yeah, that's that, you know that's controversial, but but you know it is it is entirely possible. Look, I I, I personally think that if he is in a situation where he has an ankle bracelet. He'll be able to point to that bracelet. You know, the camera will be there. Everybody will will take pictures of it, and it'll it, it'll he'll he'll take it to every single rally, and he'll basically say that I wear this for you. Yeah. Okay. And and that'll and that'll that'll blow away DeSantis and Nikki Haley and, and all the rest of it. It could be the the, the biggest piece of of winning formula ever. And the Democrats may regret the day that they wanted uh, Donald Trump in ankle bracelets. But getting back to the business of of DeSantis. I think DeSantis is more authoritarian. His instincts are more authoritarian than Donald Trump. And I think he'll make a lot of people who really dislike Trump. I think he will make people like Trump. So uh, both the criminal justice system and Ron DeSantis, to me, in the end, if we're just looking for the big picture, in the end, they play to Donald Trump. If I'm, if I'm a Donald Trump 
supporter, funder. I'm liking what Ron DeSantis is doing publicly to himself. And I'm liking, yes, I'm liking what the criminal justice system in Washington is is trying to do to Donald Trump. I think it is all in his favor. And for those Democrats who want to be very, very complacent about things because they feel that, well, the country couldn't possibly turn uh, to a jailbird, to a guy in an orange jumpsuit, to a guy who wears ankle bracelets. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm so done with this idea of this can't possibly happen and that can't possibly happen because I used to be in that chorus and I've left. I've left chorus, the chorus, I'm not talking about the company. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about the company. <laughs> no, um, I was no, having a great Monday right up until right now, Chuck. But no, that's I, what I find. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm, hey. I wasn't I wasn't trying to take a cheap shot. I'm just saying that uh, the, the chorus of, of people who say that people can't possibly vote for someone like Donald Trump, especially if there's this, this and this. I'm not part of that. I'll, I'll use a different word. I'm not part of that bandwagon. Yeah. Hey, well, I mean, a couple of thoughts on that real quick. Number one, um, I, you know, DeSantis is 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 really going to the wall, like I said, in this fight against Disney and like doubling down and tripling down. And and on one hand, I think that, you know, you you, you can sort of like whip up a, a certain <clears throat> frenzied uh, crew, a, a group of supporters, uh, you know, to say like, he's you know, he, he's going to fight against that woke Disney agenda or the woke agenda. And he, he's he's standing up for us and and good for him. It, but then also like mainstream Republicans. I mean, this is and again, I'm just being lazy and painting with a huge broad brush and speaking in generalities. But like generally speaking, in so many ways, as the, the conservative party is, is seen in Canada, Republicans are supposed to be the business friendly uh, party. Yeah. Like and, and, and to 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 take on and pester and provoke and punish uh, the biggest taxpayer in the state of Florida, Disney, uh, and to fuck around like that, I just don't. I think that the, the longer that this goes, I, I've, I've heard some political commentators talk about it. it's it's DeSantis's dream. If this fight with Disney continues all through the the Republican nomination, I don't think so. I think the longer that it goes, and the and the more that Disney prevails, they just rolled out there. I can't remember what it's called, but like for Pride Month, they've got all this new Disney, not Gay Days. I think that was one of my gay friends describing it as that. He's trying to book his flight down to Florida to go to Disney World as we speak. He wants to get all the new merch. Uh, but the, but but Disney's winning. Uh, Disney of course they're winning. Disney doesn't really lose a lot. Disney, Disney Disney's bigger than DeSantis. Disney Disney's is bigger way than bigger than DeSantis. D- and D- I think D- that's D- you know D- Disney owns the hearts and minds of people. Around the world, yes. Ron DeSantis doesn't, and Ron DeSantis uh, doesn't understand something very basic, and this is something very basic to traditional conservatives. Ron DeSantis is pissing away hundreds of millions of tax dollars in these suits because they're not. Yeah, they're suing him. They're suing his government. They're suing mm-hmm. his administration, and he's paying uh, to subsidize uh, the lawsuit to subsidize his defense. He's paying with with public dollars. And then, of course, there are the thousands of jobs, and I don't mean hundreds, I mean thousands of jobs, which ends up in hundreds of millions of lost opportunity dollars for the state of Florida, because Disney has already said that many of the jobs that they were going to fill for certain uh, cer- certain uh, entertainment products that, that Disney puts out, they're simply not going to. They're simply not going to build them because they can build them anywhere. And capitalism, capitalism has no morality. Our our socialist friends like to say, well, that there's a there's a there's a whiff of truth to that. Capitalism can move capital with a keystroke. And whatever Disney was planning to do in the Orlando area, they can do anywhere else in the world. Name me a single community in the United States, Canada, Britain, France, Japan, China. Name me a single community anywhere in the world that doesn't want to take Walt Disney's money. 
Yeah, no kidding. Hey, let me ask you this, and, and I love when we catch up on Mondays because we can kind of recap a bunch of the stuff that happened. I, I hate to, to, to play this because it's video of, a, of an older guy falling. You know what I'm going to show you here. Yeah, how, how, yeah, bad is, yeah. how bad is this video for the Democrats? Uh, Joe Biden don't, obviously don't like to see anybody fall, to say the least. Um, but sure. it's just a really tough look. Uh, for the president, who, of course, is seeking re-election and, and whether he tripped or not. I mean, you can trip when you're 20 years old. Uh, but but how bad is this, do you think, ultimately for the Democrats? Well, it's not good for the Democrats because it makes the Democrats second guess themselves, second guess how how strong their guy is. And look, uh, I can I can talk all day about how he uh, he tripped on a sandbag and which one of us wouldn't trip on a sandbag sandbag shouldn't have been there it doesn't matter uh, ex- explaining is explaining is explaining and it, when you're explaining you're losing uh, joe biden has a problem sometimes looking old he's very effective he's very competent history will probably judge him as one of the most uh, competent ever i mean there he is uh doing the the, the poker uh, with the uh, republicans on the debt ceiling and he beat them he, he beat their ass at the game of poker. He was able to keep all the programs intact that they wanted to harm. People like Ron DeSantis likes to harm the social safety net. Ron DeSantis, I don't want to go too far on this, but Ron DeSantis just kicked off a quarter of a million people in Florida off Medicaid. And that simply means health care, access to health care for poor people. Ron DeSantis blew them out. Now, the national Republicans wanted to do similar things. Joe Biden. Yes, Joe Biden uh, is old and Joe Biden uh, trips on sandbags. But Joe Biden was a wall against that kind of Republican incursion. Can we do a, a few moments on uh, on Nikki Haley? I want to. I just wanted to read this. I did. We, I, I just did a quick like. Sure. And of course, we can talk about Haley. Uh, Johnny will lock and load that clip. We'll get to in just a second from the CNN town hall. But um, with that DeSantis clip, the one thing I wanted to note before we move on is it just sounded like. Um, almost, I, I would almost compare it, and I'm not letting you leave, Charles, before we talk very quickly about Paul Bernardo and the politics around his move to medium security as well. But um, the DeSantis clip that we played kind of reminded me a bit of a Poliev video where there's just uh, buzzword after buzzword after buzzword after buzzword. It's kind of like a Jordan Peterson speech as well, where it's just, it doesn't really matter. Like if you were to read the transcript, it doesn't really matter if it makes sense. It just matters yeah. if all the things were mentioned because it gets people's attention. And yeah. so when you ask about like, what is cultural Marxism? Uh, and, and then it just kind of flies into the radar and people go, yeah, cultural Marxism. So <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just Googling as we speak. So the source is Wikipedia. Uh, take, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, what is OK? So you, so you the, looked up cultural Marxism. So, so the term cultural Marxism yeah. okay. refers to a far right anti-Semitic conspiracy theory which misrepresents the Frankfurt School, people can Google it, as being responsible for modern progressive movements, identity politics, and political correctness. The conspiracy theory posits that there is an ongoing and intentional academic and intellectual effort to subvert Western society via a planned culture war that undermines the Christian values of traditional conservatism and seeks to replace them with culturally liberal values. Okay, all right. There you so, are. I mean, so, so you know, for, for conservatives who are, I guess, in the uh, the paranoid wing of, of, of the conservative movement, this cultural Marxism thing is, is right in their wheelhouse. I mean, sure. you want to you want to spend all day. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about, uh, you know, in general, if people want to spend all day uh, bubble bathing, 
bubble bathing themselves in conspiracy theories, whether they're about uh, Jewish conspiracies or any other kind of you you want to you want to spend your lifetime on that. You will be a miserable person because you will end up finding conspiracies under every rock. And as long as you've got access to your phone, which is a computer, uh, you will you will you will find a lot of this, you know, cultural Marxism and globalism and the WEF and whatever. I mean, I'm just asking Canadians whether they're in Alberta or not. Just a, a Canadian common sense question. How miserable do you want to be? Because all of this stuff, you just look at the faces. Look at Ron DeSantis himself. He's a, an intelligent, well-off, successful guy, and he just looks angry all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not fake. When, when, you're, when you're filling your head with this garbage, you will be angry. You will be miserable. Now, if you want to be a, a miserable person, you want your friends to be miserable, you want to, you know, carry this gospel to them, this business about cultural Marxism and the, the you know, the, the 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 academics and then the 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 liberals and the Jews and you know, line up all your suspects, line up all your, your the 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 people that you're suspicious of, and you want to pretend that all of these people are spending twenty four seven trying to screw up your life and screw up your family's life. Listen. I, I realize it can make for a great monologue for a demagogue, whether it's a religious demagogue or not. I understand how to do it. I can play the game. I have been, you know, I guess people have tried to seduce me over the years with all kinds of money uh, to do that kind of thing. So it's not something that I don't understand. I just don't understand it at a consumer level. Why is it that some people want to spend the rest of their lives being miserable and making their families and friends miserable? I'm sorry. That's what I don't get. Because it's easier to blame other people. It's easier to take the victim perspective than to just own your shit. Cadmus wow. Rex on the live chat says, this has got to be the stupidest time in history. I swear. That from Cadmus yeah. Rex. All right, so June is Pride Month. Uh, CNN hosts a town hall. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley wants to be the Republican nominee for president and offers this up. We want to start with biological boys playing in girls' sports. That's one thing. The fact that we have gender pronoun classes in the military now. I mean, all of these things that are pushing what a small minority want on the majority of Americans, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, the idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports, it is the women's issue of our time. My daughter ran track in high school. I don't even know how I would have that conversation with her. How are we supposed to get our girls used to the fact that biological boys are in their locker rooms? And then we wonder why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year? We should be growing strong girls, confident girls. Then you go and you talk about built. Okay, so that's a portion of it. I I should say you've got a lot of mental health advocates fact-checking that, saying, that, that's not an accurate statistic, by the way, about a third of teenage girls not to take away from the seriousness of suicide, obviously. But that's a point worth clarifying. What did you want to dig into, Chuck? Well, I, I just I, I just want to say that uh, when you when you can get away with that kind of thing and, and you can when you you know, she's 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 a very articulate person and she's got a, an exceptionally telegenic personality and uh, she talks fast. And and so she lays it all out there. But when you when you when you look at that. Uh, in a thoughtful way, you're asking yourself, "My God, I mean, are, are, does she really believe that that this is the biggest issue in 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 the lifetime of women? Does she really believe this? Is it, is this as big as getting the vote? Is this as big as having a choice? And I understand she's a uh, an anti-choice person, but is this really the biggest issue? And does anyone really believe that trans kids are responsible for a third? 
of teenage girls contemplating suicide? Does she really believe that? And then you ask yourself, well, does it really matter whether she believes it? Is this what the audience believes? Does a significant uh, segment of the audience believe this? Because if they do, all this does is increase what is easily known as, as transphobia. I mean, like, how, how much do these trans kids have to take it in the chops? You know, how, how often do we have to talk about the percentage of trans kids who are contemplating suicide because they're being treated this way? I just want to this let is that like the cookies business. This is, it, this it, is another Jennifer Johnson thing. I agree. Why, it, why do we keep picking on these trans kids? It, I don't even want to say it. Like, why? Because it's an easy target? Because it's, cause it's well, something it goes that back to what we were talking most about a few people, moments to be honest, ago. don't understand because it's a, it's a, because it's, it's, I think that it's for opportunists, for political opportunists in particular, uh, it's, it's a, it's, Either it is a hot button issue or it's been turned into a hot button issue that 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 infuses when when people don't understand something, people fear something. Right. Right. Like, I feel like I I feel like I'm Yoda right now, but but I'm not trying to be funny. But when when people don't understand something, they fear it. And when people fear something, they push back. And when people push back, they become politically engaged and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Woke ideology is killing our society. It's it's ending society as we know it. And trans kids are are killing uh, teenage girls. I mean, yeah. look, if people want to, if people want to believe that stuff because they they fear some things that are different from what they they grew up with and 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 all of that. I mean, I, I can I guess intellectually understand it, but I'm I, I'm not trying to be condescending here, Ryan. I'm simply saying that if we really do imbibe this stuff all day long, and all of us are forced to discuss this all day long, the bad guys win. The guys, the, the 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 bad guys who just want to keep us in fear. It doesn't really matter what the issue is. Woke ideology, trans kids. If if we want to spend the rest of our lives either fearful or dealing with fearful members of our audience and our family, that to me is an existential threat to the free society we live in. Because you cannot feel free when you're always fearful and you're always angry. Hmm. Chuck, before we let you get started with the rest of your Monday. I, I, I just I want to talk about this story because I, I think that that Canadians are shocked uh, to learn that one of Canada's most notorious killers, a serial rapist and murderer, Paul Bernardo, um, has been transferred uh, to a medium security prison in Quebec. Um, lawyer says citing privacy laws. Further details are not available to the public. Uh, conservative leader Pierre Poliev uh, sensing an opportunity. Obviously, this is a, a story. This is a name that invokes very strong feelings with people, regardless of their partisan politics. Uh, so Poliev tweeting uh, just over the weekend on Saturday, Trudeau has consistently failed to protect victims. It's unsurprising. One of Canada's most heinous killers got a cozy arrangement on on his watch, on Trudeau's watch. Conservatives will put victims first and keep monsters like Paul Bernardo in maximum security prisons. Uh, It is worth pointing out that uh, Public Safety Minister uh, Marco Mendicino has commented on this, issuing a statement, uh, says the Correctional Service of Canada's, and here's the key word that he puts out there, independent decision. Uh, to transfer Paul Bernardo to a medium security institution is shocking and incomprehensible. Uh, this from a federal minister. 
He says our thoughts are with the families of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey and all of those affected by these horrific crimes. We stand with them and all Canadians who are rightfully appalled by this move. Take us into this. I was for Paul Bernardo getting capital punishment. Okay, I'm not a I'm not too wokey wokey on uh, when it comes to uh, criminal justice. Uh, Paul Bernardo is a murderer. He's a serial murderer. Uh, all of the evidence was in. It was incontrovertible. There's absolutely no doubt that he did it. Uh, there's no way that they would have been hanging or lethally injecting an innocent man. Paul Bernardo is not innocent. That Paul Bernardo should have been put to death a long time ago. If you're going to put him in prison, you've got to put him in maximum security, and you've got to keep him in maximum security and, frankly, isolated in maximum security for the rest of his stinking life. So I have no use for this decision by correction services at all. But I also have no use for a politician who wants to pretend that this cozy arrangement, as he calls it, Paulie calls it a cozy arrangement, this cozy arrangement was made, the implication that somehow Trudeau, the prime minister, made some kind of cozy arrangement uh, to lessen Paul Bernardo's burdens, to give Paul Bernardo a happier life. There's no evidence that uh, Trudeau had anything to do with that. And to tie him to this is, in my opinion, really sick behavior. I can't be surprised because I predicted that Polyev would do this. The moment the story broke, I was all over it. And I said, Paul, 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 uh, Paul Bernardo. I don't want to confuse uh, Bernardo's name with Polyev's name. I want to be very careful about this because obviously there's a lot of peas uh, in, in activity right now. I said that Pierre Polyev would say that the Paul Bernardo story is all about Trudeau, Trudeau cutting Paul Bernardo slack. I wanted to be wrong about that prediction. I wanted to believe that His Majesty's loyal opposition leader wouldn't go there, but he's there. You can catch Charles Adler every Monday right here on Real Talk. And uh, we saw your tweet, Chuck. We will stay tuned for news on your podcast coming soon. You keep us posted. Maybe you can make the exclusive announcement right here on Real Talk down the line. I, I'd love to do that. And if you don't mind publicly, and I'm not trying to you know, put you in a box here, but uh, I want you on as my first guest. Oh, wow. I accept, obviously. Wow. Thanks, pal. All right. Well, every, everyone knows by now, because I've said it, I, I said it on this particular tweet, and I've, I've said it on this show, that, uh, and I don't want to go too long on this, because I know you've got other things to do, but I will always, always give you credit, and I'll always, uh, Grandma Elizabeth uh, convinced me that gratitude was the number one virtue. Huh. I will always be grateful to Ryan Jesperson for pulling me out of the coffin of retirement. Thank you, sir. Uh, this is a whole lot more fun than it was to be on the sideline. Well, you just looked so uncomfortable in that coffin of retirement. We just had to make sure you didn't linger in there, pal. All right, Chuck, much love to you. We'll chat soon. Thank you. You bet. Uh, you can find Chuck's full announcement. He, he went on a, went on like a big thing, released like I a 15-minute yeah. video uh, on his Twitter. You can He's find so that at Charles Adler. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking love that guy. little lighthearted thing, though. When, when Biden fell, I thought he played it great. Uh, yeah. Afterwards, he said, I got sandbagged. And here was the picture of him saying it. It's funny. He's like, I got sandbagged out there. Like... He's still coherent. He's not like, you know, he, Trump's 78 years old. He's 80. Like, he's, I just thought it was great how he still had that quick wit about it. And it did, like, I wonder, like, who got fired for putting that oh, sandbag man. You there? Made Can you imagine? Fall. Like, that production you, oh, assistant dude. is never going to work. 
<laughs> ever again. I feel bad for he or she. Or I feel whoever. bad for everybody. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like it. And, and that's great that Biden's got a good sense of humor and he like gets right back up. And, and But you and, place it right but, by his feet. Well, but I mean, all I'm saying is that that video clip you watch, you watch how that video clip will be used and torqued and all politicized again long. and again and again. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Biden, octogenarian. Can he be? And of course, his then, feet I'm, don't work I'm, anymore. I, I already saw. Yeah. What's next? His brain. I already saw. You know, I already saw people <laughs> posting videos on the weekend, and it was it was just a back and back. It was a, a loop, and they were just looping. Biden falling on stage, and then Donald Trump hitting a drive on the golf course, like oh sort God. of making it. And by the way, Trump's got terrible form and terrible for me, health. For too. me to be criticizing someone's golf swing, <laughs> it's gotta be bad. It's gotta be bad. Right? It's gotta be real bad <laughs> if I'm criticizing your golf swing. Hey, I'll tell you what. I when I will never criticize your golf swing is when you're out at the Real Talk Golf Classic. Yeah, that's right. Coming up June 22nd. That's Thursday, June 20. We're going to tee off at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. This is presented by our amazing friends at CWB Wealth. And, of course, all in support of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. Johnny, we've been talking to our sponsors. We've got hole-in-one prizes. We've got a Jeep up for grabs. We've got tens of thousands of dollars of cash to be won. we got leather furniture. Somebody's going to win that for closest to the pin. Long drive prizes. we got door prizes like Oilers tickets and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. A bourbon Sampler basket. I mean, the samples are two sixes. They're full bottles. You know what the funny thing is? You just get a whole bunch of them. Everyone comes out, they try to be competitive, and then they just get too saucy, and nobody really cares. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Nobody really cares. You know, the smallest prize at the tournament is for the team that wins. Yeah. And the best prizes are for the people that are out there having the most fun. It's the Real Talk Golf Classic presented by CWB Wealth. You can learn more by visiting our website, ryanjesperson.com. Just click on the events link. Uh, we've got like, uh, I don't have any spots left, but I think we have three foursomes left, maybe four of them. So don't wait. Don't wait for it to sell out to all of a sudden go, well, why didn't I sign up sooner? It's coming up on June 22nd. Our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you that if you're a decision maker in Alberta or Saskatchewan, in particular Edmonton and area, White Court and area, Regina and area, uh, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're making the call for a big business or maybe for an entire municipality, you're going to want to keep it local when it comes to garbage, recycling, infrastructure services like water hauling, maybe even disposal facilities, landfill, recycling. They do it all at Local Environmental Services, and the best part about it, they can virtually guarantee you're going to pay less than you're paying right now. Check them out online at localenvironmental.ca. This studio that we broadcast out of every single day is proudly built by our friends at Complete Care Restoration. They do construction and uh, renovation projects across the province of Alberta. Their specialty is disaster recovery. Uh, Right now, of course, our thoughts are with the thousands of Albertans that have been affected by these wildfires. Man, oh man, paying attention to what's going on in Nova Scotia as well. What a tough season. Complete Care Restoration's team of professionals has been there before. Slave Lake, Fort McMurray, and dozens of other situations where they've helped people get back on their feet with the utmost professionalism. Whether it's fire and flood you're dealing with, mold, asbestos removal that you need handled, trust the team at Complete Care Restoration. And speaking of the lighter side, John, speaking of hot eats or cool treats... 
Wanted to let you know that our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are ready for you this summer with the Summer Blizzard lineup you've got to check out. Of course, there's the classic favorites, the returning favorites, plus some brand new ones. And, and while you're there grabbing a blizzard, don't forget to check out the signature stack burger lineup as well. My personal favorite right now, the Bacon Two Cheese Deluxe. But there's something to be said for throwing a little spice into the mix with that flamethrower signature stack burger. You can find them all. Ask for them by name at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road. That's the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Every first show of the week, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. They, they give us a positive to focus on like a silver lining a break from all those serious news headlines we call it positive reflections and i absolutely love this story this happened just over the weekend in london england a fellow by the name of albert gibbs uh who worked on ambulances in the city of london for more than 25 years he's now dealing with dementia and he's in a a care home uh in essex and his grandkids, his great grandkids, wanted him to be able to relive some of his glory years. And of course, we all know what the power of memory can do. Once someone connects with music, or perhaps a smell, or a sight, or some sort of physical experience from their past, it can bring out, it can bring out those memories. It can take them back to that special time. Well, paramedics Craig Henty and Terrace Thompson managed to get their hands on an original 1967 Morris Wadhams ambulance. They managed to find uniforms from that period of time when Albert Gibbs was working. And as the ambulance pulled up, he exclaimed, I wore the same uniform. I wore the same hat. He says, your badge. It's from the Northeast sector where I used to work. He recalled some of his career moments when he delivered five babies in the ambulance, when he saved a person who fell under a train. Gibbs' daughter Elaine says this was a huge part of my dad's life. And while it feels like we've lost him at moments, it was so moving to get him back, to see him relive those moments. We love stories like this, stories that remind us of the power of humanity, stories that remind us of the wonder that lies all around us if we just look for it. We'd love to hear your positive reflection. It could be a random act of kindness, somebody that paid it forward. You can submit them to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And don't forget, at kubienergy.ca, you can learn more about going green and get a free quote for solar installation this summer. Coming up later this week, as mentioned on Wednesday's show, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith will join me right here in studio. On Thursday, so will author uh, we're going to be talking to Irshad Manji. Really looking forward to that. How do you go from polarization to collaboration? Again, focusing on the positives. Plus, we'll be keeping our eye on the news and politics story, making news across this country and beyond. Thanks for telling your friends about Real Talk. Thanks for subscribing to our YouTube and our podcast. And we'll see you right here again tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola, 
Catherine O'Neill and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.